Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. Stay together? Now, yeah, okay. Let's get stand up and give our Lord a 10 second praise break. Come on. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Come on. Praise God. Have a seat. Have a seat. Praise God. Thank you for, um, I, I, I try really hard not to drink from that cup. So I appreciate the, the love and affection um, and the trust uh, that you've placed in me, and hopefully, more importantly, the Holy Spirit that dwells within me. Amen? So I'm trying to really work on this whole let people love you and honor you thing, and so this is the best that I can do at this moment without taking a sip of that cup that belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone. Amen? So thank you from the bottom of my heart. Oh, yeah, 33. Come on. Oh, it's weird when you get to that same place as, uh, as Jesus when he did the greatest work of his ministry. Honest to God, I'm kind of believing that this would be the greatest work of my ministry. Amen. Oh, are you glad you're in church this morning? Yes. Come on. Can I just say I love you and I'm so grateful. Listen, 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 listen. What the Lord is doing in this room, in this moment, in worship there and the whole thing that is off the back of the fact that you have come thirsty, that you have come hungry, that when the world was working against you and you had every reason and every excuse and every uh, inclination in your spirit, in your, in your flesh rather, to stay home, stay warm, stay in bed, that when your cold feet hit that cold floor, you still got up and you said, today I am getting to the Lord's house and that's why he's moving in this room. That's why he's as sweet as he's in this room. That's why he is as tangible as he can be in this room this morning. It's because our God always rewards hunger with righteousness. Amen. He rewards hunger with himself. And so that's why we, we're come, come hell or high water. We are, we are meeting as the church. Amen. And trust me, I'm, I'm, I have understanding and I have empathy for the situation we Michiganders find ourselves in. I'm just really excited for the day that when we love on the Lord with our finances, it's going to look like we're buying a Ford F-150 Super Duty with a Hemi in it so we can get to church every Sunday. Amen? <laughs> honestly, I think that's rad. Going to be honest. I honestly, God, I think I have a minivan, so it's kind of like a suburban truck. Uh, it's what I call it, the Church of Suburbia, even though I live in the hood. It is the suburban truck. But I'm telling you, like, I honestly, I think there's something in me that's like, let's just love the Lord by getting the biggest, baddest motor vehicle we can so nothing can stand in our way. Amen? Come on. What about, what if we all, yeah, got a Jeep. What if we all just had plow trucks, right? We're like serving our neighbor, inviting them to church. Hey, we just plowed your driveway. Come with us. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is the dream, folks. It's the dream. But man, I am excited for the second week of the new year. I'm excited. And how's everyone's fast doing, huh? Are we feeling it? Got to tell you, I'm used to fasting my body, so this, this is all good. The fast of the body is doing well for your boy. You know what I'm not used to? In 33 years, this is the longest break I've had from television in my life. You don't even want to know. Adrienne's looking at me and she's like, are we going to stay married and do puzzles? Or are we going to, you know, what are you doing, bro? <laughs> so pray for her. Pray more for me. <laughs> but it's going good. And I'm telling you, man, I, I hear him so closely. And more importantly, 
so sweetly today. Has anyone grown in his voice and his whisper and his sweetness so far? Just two weeks in, 14 days in. And I want to tell you too, make sure you're looking at the daily prayer points all across. We got them online. We've got them, uh, we've got them in the family page. If you're, not on, if you're on Facebook and you haven't joined our family page, just go to our takeover page. You'll find it. Um, join that. But look at it in our stories and our Instagram. We're trying to share it in all of our group chats. But we got a prayer point to focus in on every single day for the whole 31 days. Amen? Because I want us to be united and running together. Speaking of united and running together, who's ready for week two of stewarding our prophetic word of 2024, a house of prayer? Because Jesus made it clear, Matthew 21, 13, he said, man, what we have done is we have made our house, his house, a den of robbers. But he's saying from the beginning to the end, my heart for my house, for where I dwell, and that is both in the church and in the Christian, my house and my temple will be what? A house of prayer. A house of prayer. And I got to tell you, if there's something in Jesus's heart that he longs for, I'm going to give of my body and my blood to make sure he receives the sacrifice for his, or say he receives a reward for his sacrifice. Amen. May the lamb that was slain receive the reward for his sacrifice. Can we just approach him in that reverence this morning? Can we approach him in that celebratory heart that says, Jesus, I long to give you what you are worthy of. I long to give you what you are worthy of. Who's got their Bibles? Fantastic, wave them at me, come on. Wave your Bibles in the air like you just do care. Oh, I love it, fantastic. I saw some light up Bibles. Hey, you know what? I'm not even gonna go there today. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're in the house of God. And if you're using a light-up Bible, come on, Lord, glow it up. All right, coming out of Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Matthew 26, 36 through 46. And if you're taking notes, the title of my sermon this morning is The Gethsemane Prayer. The Gethsemane Prayer. The Gethsemane Prayer. So Matthew 26, 36 through 46. Here we go. And when Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, a.k.a. John and James, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful right now, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, my father, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to his disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you, could you not watch with me for one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. That's a word for somebody. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, the second time he went away and he prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for a third time saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand. The son of man is to be betrayed into the hands of the sinners. Rise up and let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So we're gonna pray and we're gonna see what the Lord will do with that. Does that sound good? Come on, let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, Father, hallowed be your name. 
Let it be said here today, God, that your kingdom come, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, give us today our daily bread, Lord, that today we say before all of heaven, all of the world, all of hell and its armies, God, that we will settle for nothing less than the bread of the lamb that was slain, of the blood of the lamb that was slain, that today, Lord Jesus, we came for one meal, and it's not a meal that Matt prepared. It's not a meal that the Takeover Worship Crew prepared. It's not a meal of our best efforts, our most well-intentioned. It is not a meal, God, by any manly means. No, Lord, today we came to sit at your table. Father, we came today to see what you've prepared for us, Lord. As, as much as we honor earthly gifts in the stewardship of those who have them, God, we say today, Lord, no one came here to hear Matt McClure. We came here to hear you. Father, we just reposition our hearts and we say, God, we did not come today expecting a great sermon because, Father, you have already preached your greatest sermon and his name is Jesus. Father, today we come. We come to hear his sermon, to hear of this man. Father, today I ask that right now we would just reposition our hearts that this moment wouldn't be about the incredible worship that we just had. It wouldn't be about dynamic communication. That right now, Lord, we would have an encounter with the one true living God that we can't get in a TED Talk, that we can't get in a podcast, that we can't get in a bar, that we can't get in entertainment, God, that we can't even get tonight at 8 o'clock as the lions go to war, God. We thank you that you are the one true lion in whom we worship, the young lion of Judah. We love you, God. Thank you for everything that you're doing in this moment, in this hour, in this region, in this church, and in this people, God, and in me. Holy Spirit, come. Take over this space. Take over our minds and our hearts, creating us a pure mind and a clean heart, O oh God, and do not take your Holy Spirit from us. We came to encounter the one true living God. And as we do, we will give you all of the honor all of the glory, all of the power, all of the reverence, all of the praise, and all of the worth that Jesus is so richly owed. In Jesus' mighty name, a faith-filled church said with their chest. Amen. Amen. Come on. Amen. Amen. The Gethsemane prayer. The Gethsemane prayer. The Gethsemane prayer. That word is incredibly hard for me to enunciate, by the way. The Gethsemane prayer. You see, friends, right now we're in a season when it's not just us, but there's few. There's few around this nation. There's few around the world that are really beginning to peel their eyes back. And what is happening in this moment is there is a unique opportunity in the earth right now for the bride of Christ to do something so unique so stellar, so incredibly countercultural, and not running parallel at all with the ways of our world that would actually be what we call today radical, but what Jesus simply calls biblical. And the unique opportunity that you and I have placed before us is to return to the first thing, not the, la not the newest thing, not the easiest thing, not the most attractive thing, but the first thing, and it is called being a people, a house of prayer, of prayer. Let me tell you, friends, there, is, there are moments with the Lord in prayer that are not sexy, 
that are not vogue, that you cannot capture and place on Instagram for the world to see and applaud. I am telling you right now, you and I, we have a unique opportunity to do something so radical in the earth that most of the church will say, this is radical, while Jesus sits on his throne and he looks at his bride and he goes, that? That's downright biblical. It's downright biblical. And it's coming back into alignment with the, with the Father's heart for humanity. God's plan for all of time has always been, I'm gonna create a space for me to dwell. And in that place where I dwell, I am going to have people that are made in my image and in my likeness and in my people and on my people and around my people, I will dwell. It's his whole purpose from the jump. That is all that he's longed for was to have sons and daughters in whom he can dwell with and upon. Amen? With and within. But what has happened? What has happened since 2020 is this, friends. Some of us since 2020, we... We have taken this other turn where we as sons and daughters, we were called and we were commissioned and we were presented and we were invited into this one thing in this one place, but something happened in 2020. And it wasn't just COVID and it wasn't just politics, but there was a shift in the spirit of the age where the enemy saw right now is where I lay my trap and I get that bride for myself. The enemy studied and he watched. He saw over in America specifically those eight years under Obama and all of the things that happened. All of the things that this nation shifted away from its principles and what it was founded on and what the hopes and dreams were at one point in time. I'm not saying it was perfect. I'm saying there were hopes and dreams of having a godly nation. And then for eight years, we saw these shifts begin to happen and we saw the church get angry. We saw the church get bitter and we saw them begin to taste the fruit of not good and evil, not knowledge of good and evil, but instead of the left or the right. And what ended up happening in 2020 is we, we began to have this little side piece in our marriage And it was in this moment where we decided to latch on to creating our own image and likeness, some false salvation. We we're so much like Israel. We were like, no, God, give us a king. And he goes, am I not enough? Am I not enough for America? Am I not enough for the bride? Am I not enough for you? And the American church went, no, we need a king. Hear me today, you already know how I feel. I'm a conservative, I'm a Republican because I'm going to vote for whoever is not going to murder children in the womb, okay? And not push gender ideology and falsehoods and evil on our children, amen? So you already know where I stand and that's where I believe every Christian should stand, okay? But what I'm saying is this, is that we took a drink from a cup that should never have been offered to us. It wasn't given to us by God. It was another moment. We had a moment in another garden where we were offered a cup. We were offered a manna. We were offered something that was here is immediate hope, immediate salvation, immediate concerns will be answered, immediately concerns will be alleviated, immediately you will have what you desire and it's in a king. 
And friends, if we don't hear the plea of heaven in this hour to return again to being first and foremost his house and all that he says should be within that, we will have a repeat in 2024 that we had in 2020. And I don't believe for a second, either you or I, we want to partake in that cup ever again. How do I know this happened? Because here's what took place. We saw in just a moment of time, we saw in a moment of time where we begun to dig deep political wells. These wells exceeded our wells and our relationship and our robust relationship with our Father. How do I know? Let's take a poll real quick. Anyone in the room and online, just in your own head, how many hours in the last four years did you stream, listen, download, play, share, send, like, retweet, reshare political talks, political conspiracy theories, political ideas, political agendas, whatever it may be. And then on the other side, tip the scales and ask yourself, how many hours over the last four years did I stream, listen, like, replay, share, reshare, tweet, regram, whatever it is, sermons, scripture, podcasts, worship music. And I honestly, God, I think if we looked at that, some of us would be like, wow, I didn't take the bait. Praise God. And then if we look at it, some of us would be like, oh, oh okay, pastor, I, I'm beginning to see what your worry is here. Because here's the deal. Right now, there is an invitation from heaven. There is a call right now. The church responded in a way in 2020 of going, I, I, we, we are fighting for survival. Listen, Jesus Christ himself said, I will build my church and, his, and it will be built upon me, the revelation of me. And while I build my house, no gates, no hell, no demon, no lefty, no other country, no whatever can stand against it. My church will prevail against all of hell and anyone that comes with it. Amen. And so the call of the hour isn't to now suddenly, I'm going to throw up cries for survival. No, we only have cries for revival. Amen. We don't lift up prayers of survival. We lift up prayers of revival because what we don't need in this hour is to focus on the church surviving. Jesus' bride will endure until he returns. What we need in this hour is for Jesus' bride not to simply survive, but to revive. We don't need another survival world tour of some political figurehead. What we need is a revival world tour of King Jesus stepping across our nation yet again in the prophetic. Amen. I'm seeing a vision right now and I am seeing it. It is coming in houses and forms like you and I where Jesus, he begins to see where he says, I have lit your path, right? I will light your path. I will number your steps. And right now what I'm seeing him doing in our nation, if you look at the map prophetically, this is what I see. Churches like ours are highlighting paths for Jesus to walk again in our nation. And if he lights our path, we're actually gonna partake and light his. I'm appreciating anybody this morning. That as he makes this hotbed, these homes, these houses of prayers, all of a sudden, he's going to be stepping into Grand Rapids. He's going to be stepping into Redding, California. He's going to be stepping into Orlando. He's going to be stepping into Dallas. He's going to be stepping into Kalamazoo. He's going to be stepping into all of these places. Why? Because in turn for him lighting our steps, we have now lit his. And all of a sudden, swing wide, you ancient gates. 
Let the king of glory enter in. And not only that, all of a sudden inside these little hotbeds, there's these smaller hotbeds where he doesn't just come into this room, but all of a sudden he begins to go into the Stevens home. He begins to go into Fletcher home. He, believe, he begins to go into the Garzon home. I love your guys' last name. It's just so fun to say. And I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. They'll tell me later. But I love Johan's last name. And I love Joe. Man, if you weren't here Wednesday, Johan was singing. Woo-wee! Come on, somebody. I'm telling you. Mm. My boy's got pipes. But all of a sudden, he's walking amongst us in this form and in this fashion. And we begin to illuminate his steps all throughout the nation. He begins to walk across the nation, hotbed to hotbed, house to house, home to home. And then all of a sudden, in our homes, when we go from just being the church collected to being a Christian individual, all of a sudden he starts marking our closets and he starts marking our kids and he starts marking our prodigals and he starts marking our marriages and he starts marking, 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 marking. And he moves across nations and he moves across churches and he moves across friends and he moves across families and he moves across sons and he moves across daughters. This is the mission right now in the earth. I'm appreciating anybody this morning. I may have just given one of the greatest prophetic visions that the Lord has ever given me, and I am telling you, as clear as today is, I am telling you, he longs to have hotbeds where he can step and where he can rest and where he can dwell and where he can make his home there. I'm appreciating anybody this morning. You see, right now we are in a unique time and place where we can really again begin to adjust ourselves to what God's original intent and purpose is in the earth and for his image and his likeness, his people. At some point in time, sons and daughters, we began asking for a king and Jesus, the firstborn among many sons, he's sitting there and he's looking and he is pleading with his bride, don't go with him. Don't go with her. I'm returning. I am coming. I have a plan. I am on mission. And I am more than enough for America. I'm more than enough for the LGBTQI community. I am more than enough for alcoholism. I'm more than enough for drug addiction. I'm more enough for suicide. I'm more enough for Gen Z, Gen Alpha. I am more enough for the boomers who are ready to go home. I am more than enough. But how will you ever know that I am more than enough? How will you ever know that I'm actually just enough? How will you ever know that I am better than everything you entertain, you think about, and you look at, that you put between your ears and you place within your heart? How will you ever know if you and I, we never speak? How will you know? I'm going to put a call out right now. Friends, your dad's been calling. He says to call him back. Your father's been calling. He says to call him back. Your father has not quit calling. He says to call him back. The greatest thing I can say to this house in this hour is call your father back. Because we live in a time and place, and friends, let me me put it to you straight. We live in a time and a place where churches are going, what do we pay our pastor for, but if not to talk to God, and then tell me what he said. (laughs) 
no, Pastor Matt, we pay you. You collect a paycheck. You go talk to God so I don't got to concern myself with any of that. And then you report back to me on Sunday what he told you about me. That's how we treat church. That's how we treat pastors. And that's how we're treating this hour. And friends, let me tell you, I make $125 a week. I'm praying for myself first. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but in reality, yes. I go before the Father and I sit with him and I look at him and I allow him to peel back everything that makes up Matt McClure. And yes, I am an unfinished product. And yes, I am on my sanctification process just like the rest of you. But man, I have made it the cry of my heart to hear from my Father for me, for my wife, for you, for this region, for the city, and for America and the nations at large. I am sitting with him and I am asking him about everything, including you. And I am telling you, if you came today for a prophetic word, here it is. Call your Father back. Call your Father back. There is not enough money in the world, friends, that you can pay me to receive from me what your Father has for you. I'm not preaching to anybody this morning. We couldn't have the biggest building. We couldn't have the greatest music. We couldn't have all of it. We could not have the greatest church revival of all time, and it would still not be enough, friends for me to give to you what only your father can speak to you in his unique relationship with his son and with his daughter. Can't be done. Can't be done. Because the way he speaks to me about you is way different than he's going to speak to you about you. In fact, I would say this even. The way he speaks to me about him is going to be way different than how he speaks to you about him. Call your father back because friends, I am telling you the hour is too late. It is too dark and he is coming quickly. Can I just tell you this morning that Jesus Christ himself, this was the whole purpose of pouring himself out. The reason, and we're gonna read the scripture in a second, the whole reason, friends, that he broke his body and he poured out his blood for you and I was so that he could cover sins and covet sons. To cover sins and covet sons. To cover sins and covet daughters. To, are you hearing me? Abolish sin and attain sons. Abolish sin and obtain daughters. This is who our Jesus is. This is what he came for. This is what God's ultimate plan was from the beginning when we as humans had perfect relationship with him. We allowed sin to enter in and sin broke that. We sinned against him and that sin broke our perfected family and our perfected relationship. And so what did he do? He gave us the only one that cannot be broken outside of willfully breaking of himself and pouring himself out for you and I. What once was lost has now been found and it's not just you and it's not just me. It's the, it, it's the ability to have a relationship with the Father. 
Because we love singing Amazing Grace, right? I once was lost, but now I'm found. Friends, hear me today. The greater revelation of that incredible hymn, of that incredible truth, of that incredible word of God is this. The greater truth is this. What was lost, the ability to have relationship with your father has now been recovered. It has now been found. It has now been made available to the sons and the daughters. That's the good news of the gospel. Jesus' blood was enough to cover every sin and covet every son. He wants to buy you back. But he doesn't want just Sunday and he doesn't want just Wednesday and he doesn't want just Matt's sitting with him. He paid for a perfected family where all of a sudden you and him, you have the perfect relationship in the perfect place and habitat for you to thrive in that. I'm preaching to anybody this morning. Listen, prayer is speaking. Prayer is communing. Prayer is sitting and having a relationship with God. Prayer isn't the next thing or one more thing. Prayer is the thing. It is the only thing. It is the greatest thing that he has made available to you and I. When Jesus died, friends, on that cross, heaven had an estate sale where all that Jesus possessed was now available and up to grabs for you and me. All that Jesus had when he died on that cross, heaven put up an estate sale. And all that he has and all that he possessed has been made available to you and I. The problem is all that Jesus has and possessed cannot be purchased by silver or gold. Inheritance in the kingdom is only purchased by intimacy with the king. Inheritance in the kingdom can only be purchased by intimacy with the king. Inheritance in the kingdom can only be, can only be found, it can only be taken, it can only be possessed, it can only be given by intimacy with the king. This is who our God is. This is what he's made available to us. And yet so many of us, we live without the greatest prize of our inheritance. We live without the greatest resource that God actually made available to us. We think in the Western church, the greatest resource was the covering of our sins. Let me flip the script for you this morning. The greatest resource isn't the covering of your sins, it's the covering of the sons. I preach to anybody. Sin was in the way. Sin had to be dealt with so that he could buy back and purchase and have relationship with every single one of you. Am I preaching to anybody this morning? This was the purpose. The greatest resource is a relationship with him, not just relieve from sin, relieve from temptation. It's relationship. We need a revival today in relationship with God. And that's exactly what a house of prayer does. That's what a house of prayer is about. Because prayer in and of itself is praying, speaking, communing. What do those three add up to? Relationship. I preach to anybody this morning. Are you glad you went out in the snow and we could sit here and we could hear from heaven in this moment? Because I am. If you weren't here at our team rally, prayer leader Grant had a phenomenal word too. It'll be up on YouTube later. I am telling you, friends, there's no place like the house of God. Why? Because God should dwell there. There's nowhere else you're going to go that someone's going to ask you about the condition of your soul. There's nowhere else you and I are going to be tomorrow where someone's going to say, hey, how has your intimacy with Jesus been? 
How's that temptation you've been dealing with? Have you beaten pornography yet? How's your marriage? What's your sex life like? How are you glorifying God? You're not gonna go anywhere and have these conversations built and predicated upon the blood and resurrecting power of Jesus anywhere but here. It's the point. This is the point, but this is what he paid. This is what he purchased. This is what he did. You won't get this at a club. You won't get this at a bar. You won't get this at the Lions game. You won't get this in any other arena or any other proximity or in any other people. But God's people in God's house and his house is where he should dwell. I appreciate anybody this morning. So that leads me to Gethsemane. Gethsemane, I love this moment in time because here's the facts, Jack. Let me tell it to you how it is. Right before this, Jesus shared in his last supper with his disciples. And this, right before this moment, he came and he told them, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. If you will take and eat and if you will t- uh, take and drink, I will be in you and you will be in me. He instituted communion. He brought the last supper. He put this all into place right before this. In fact, he goes on to say, listen, friends, This table, you'll do this in remembrance of me every time you gather and every time you get together and every time you have a chance, you will break bread and you will drink wine and you will remember what I have done for you. But me, where I'm going, I won't partake in this moment we just shared again until I'm with my whole family, my whole bride, my whole people in heaven. That's how much this whole moment that we're setting up means to Jesus. And by proxy, this is by how much this moment means to God the Father. So Jesus has this moment. And then all of a sudden, they're like, the boys are just being dumb. They're just not understanding. They're still just acting like, friends, let me tell you, they are acting like orphans in this moment, and there's one son among them. We're going back there today because we are going to explore this in great detail this morning. But in this moment, there's a bunch of orphans and there's one son and his name is Jesus. And these orphans are sitting here acting like petulant fools who are sitting there going, Jesus, who's the best one? Why? Because orphans have an affirmation problem. Orphans have an affirmation deficit. Orphans have a confirmation deficit. Orphans have an identity issue. Because they feel like they belong somewhere to someone in name and name alone while simultaneously belonging nowhere and to no one. I preached to anybody this morning. And so all of a sudden, <coughs> bless you, Jesus goes, you guys just don't get it yet. You just don't get it yet. I say to you, one of you is going to betray me. And they're like, no, we're never going to do that. Never going to betray you, Jesus. And he looks at his BFF, Peter, and he goes, Peter, dude, I don't, I don't do this a whole lot. Let me tell you how it's going to go, Jack. Literally tomorrow, you're going to deny me three times before a roaster crows. And he was like, nah. And then Jesus is like, yeah, one of them's a little girl, so just get ready. <laughs> Jesus doesn't tell him that part. But what he does in the moments following that is he actually breaks away from his disciples. And what he does is he grabs his three closest friends his three closest homies, his three closest hombres, his three closest guys. And he grabs Peter and he grabs John the beloved and he grabs James. Not James who wrote the book, that's his brother. Different guy, comes in later. But the sons of thunder and Peter the rock, come on somebody, 
who should be the people we look up to, should be the people that he is gonna build upon, should be the people that are gonna be the most trusted. And what does he do? Jesus, the son, goes to the garden of Gethsemane and he goes to pray and he brings along his three closest friends, his three closest comrades, his three closest people that he trusts with more of the kingdom, what he holds most dear than anyone else on the planet. He brings them with him. And what does he do? He goes, listen, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray. Luke records a stone throw away. I'm going to go a few feet. Stay here. Wait and stay up with me and pray. Pray for me. Pray. In this moment, what we see is what happens when there's a differentiator between the son and an orphan. We begin to see the response to the father and how a son responds to the father, how a daughter should respond to the father, and how an orphan responds to the father. If you weren't here last week and you didn't check out the podcast, let me remind you, in the natural, fathers leave children making them orphans. In the kingdom, children leave the father making them orphans. He said he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's kept that bond. We try to uphold our end, and what do we do? We ultimately live a life looking more, sounding more, acting more like orphans. So go back and listen to that. In the natural, fathers leave children making them orphans. In the kingdom, children leave the father making them orphans. And so in this moment, we've got one son and three orphans. And so the son, this is amazing, this is amazing, this is amazing. I need everyone to pay attention right now. This moment is one of the most prophetic moments I've ever seen in scripture. I think it's overlooked. I think it's undervalued. And I have sit here all week going, am I insane? Is no one else seeing this? And then, of course, I go back about 500, 600 years, and all of a sudden I'm seeing all the old guys who are up in heaven sitting beneath the altar worshiping Jesus right now who gave their faith by lives, right? The martyrs, oh, they read this and they held it in the highest esteems. So what happens? What we see in the Garden of Gethsemane is what we see in the Garden of Eden. And we see a son who is in perfect relationship with God give a perfect response to that relationship with God. You see, in this moment, this is right before Jesus is about to be betrayed, about to offer himself up, about to be standing before Pilate, traded for Barabbas, and ultimately giving of his life on the cross. And in this moment, what we see is the perfect response from the son who is about to do the greatest triumph in all of history. Hear me today. This isn't the greatest feat in human history. This isn't the greatest feat in world history. This isn't the greatest feat in church history. This is the greatest feat in all of history. From whenever God came on the scene, which is forever, to when Grant pointed out this morning, to when God is done on the scene, which is never. This is the greatest feat in all of history that Jesus, the Son of God, is about to accomplish it's about to be the most triumphant thing of all time. And so what does he do? Jesus goes, and he goes knee first, face down, and he begins to weep. He begins to cry, and not because Jesus is unwilling to do it. No, Paul records in Hebrews that for the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross, despising the shame of the cross for the joy set before him. Did you know that crucifixion is the most shameful and painful cause of death to ever exist. 
Literally in that time, if you were a Jew, how the crucifixion would go, it is deemed the single most shameful death that you could receive, let alone painful. You actually suffocate and choke on your own blood more than anything. But it's the most shameful because you are up there bared, naked, stripped down, and you are whipped and you are beaten, you are stabbed, you are poked, you are prodded, you are ripped to shreds for all to see while being in the most intimate setting possible, nude before the world. It is the most shameful and painful death anyone could ever experience. And yet Jesus, he goes to the garden and he kneels down and he begins to pray and he begins to weep because of the shame and the pain associated with it while fully going, Lord, I know if it is your will, let this cup pass. But if not, God, all that I am, you have it in your will. All that I am, I say yes to this. All that I am, Lord, there is nothing in me, Father, that is gonna run from this moment. And what we end up seeing, actually the good Dr. Luke's recording of this is amazing. It says that Jesus begins to sweat blood. Jesus begins to sweat blood. Friends, if you're looking for a scriptural reference for why Pastor Matt is so insane about intimacy before ministry or how intimacy begets ministry, look no further in this moment. Before Jesus poured his blood out on the cross for your sin, my sin, all of sins, or anyone else, Jesus poured out his blood in intimacy and sacrifice before the Father in the garden. Before Jesus ever performed the greatest act of his ministry for all of mankind in the most public fashion, what did he do alone in a garden? He poured out his blood unto his father first. Like the priest of old who went slay a perfect blameless lamb and then poured it on a sinner. No, they poured it on the altar. They poured it before the Lord. They poured it unto the king of kings and lord of lords. All of a sudden, we begin to look at the crucifixion a little bit differently. We begin to see that Jesus actually modeled perfect sonship. Because what is perfect sonship? We offer our best first to God. And what is Jesus' best? His blood. What is Jesus first? His body. What is Jesus first? His body and his blood. He goes to the garden and before he's ever hung up on a cross, he goes knees and face first into the ground and he weeps and he pleads and he prays and he groans and he pours out his blood unto the Father first. You want to talk about first fruits? Who was the first to receive the blood of the precious slain lamb than the good Father? Is this blowing your mind this morning? Are you understanding this is true intimacy that begets true ministry? That this moment wasn't about Jesus getting something. It wasn't about Jesus getting out of something. It was about Jesus giving something that only in this moment could he give to his father before he gave to the rest of the world. What does that say to you in our lives? What are you giving to the Father alone, first and foremost, that you are going around, spreading around to everyone else? Could it be your time? Could it be your love? Could it be your kindness? Could it be your faithfulness? Could it be your sexuality? Could it be all of these things, your mind, your heart, your soul? I am telling you, friends, are you hearing me? There's a way in sonship where sons offer first to their father, while so often orphans offer last to their father. Sons and daughters, they offer first to their father, while orphans often offer last to their father. Why? Because orphans are always looking for a last resort handout. While sons and daughters, 
They live in the assurance of the kingdom. Orphans live with an insurance of, I can do this all myself until I can't, and then I'll ask for a last minute bailout handout. But sons, they live, hear me today, sons and daughters of the king, they live in the full assurance, not insurance of themselves, but assurance of the kingdom. I'm not preaching to anybody this morning. Is this wrecking you as much as it wrecked me? Because I'm telling you, there is something in Jesus that we need to begin to get on the inside of us that recognizes, here we are, we have got one son in a garden while three orphans are living in the wilderness. In this moment, we got one son who lives in the garden perpetually forever. He is Eden, he's in Eden, he's in Gethsemane, he's on the throne. He is in perfect relationship with God the Father and therefore has a perfect offering, a perfect sacrifice, a perfect given over to Father that you and I are called to have. But so often we're found acting like the jabronis who are the three orphans who are not perfect sons in a garden but are acting like instead orphans wandering around in the desert wandering around in the wilderness. You see, in this moment, man, what we see is how Jesus is calling you and I to live and respond to the Father in our daily lives. I mean, friends, let me ask you, what happens in 2024 when you get the call of God in your life confirmed? What happens in 2024 when you finally get the boyfriend or the girlfriend you spent all of 2023 complaining about and asking for? What happens in 2024 when suddenly you get the marriage that you've been crying out to God for? What happens when that marriage arrives? What happens when that promotion arrives? What happens when the job changes, the career changes, the babies come, the children come? When you get finally what you've been crying out for, what happens to your offering? What happens to your relationship with God? Are you going to be found like Jesus in the garden, giving God his first? Or are you going to be like so many of our brothers and sisters that when the relationship finally comes, suddenly God isn't actually getting the best of us in our celibacy. Instead, we're giving to our, our relationship sexually. When the marriage comes, we're married, yay! And all of a sudden, you're deciding where you're going to go, who you're going to be, what you're going to do in this life together. And all of a sudden, you decide, I'm going to go here, do this, and be absent from all the things that actually got me to the place I'm at, where God honored my, my prayers, God honored my due diligence of making sure I was the spouse he needed me to be. But all of a sudden, the second the spouse comes, God in his position in my life as number one goes out the window, and suddenly I'm living for this other person where I'm not giving God my best offering of myself first, I'm giving now my spouse my best offering of myself first, leading me actually into a place of compromise. Because the greatest position that you can have in your marriage is giving God first, not your spouse first. You want a godly marriage? You give to God first before you give to your spouse first. Let your spouse receive the overflow of your intimacy with the Father. I preached to anybody this morning. I mean, what happens when the kids come? All of a sudden we're going, well, where do we want to raise our kids? And all of a sudden, instead of living lives based upon where we're called to be, we decide to move and go to the places where we decide we want to raise our kids because we like the image, we like the school district, we like what comes along with it. But friends, we don't actually move to where we like. We plant where we're called. We don't raise our kids in our ideal situations. No, no, no. We go with God's ideal place, God's ideal situation, God's ideal town, God's ideal city, God's ideal school. And what is his ideal? Where he's called you to. If the two line up amazing, 
But are you going to be found in the garden of Gethsemane with your feet on the ground or your knees on the ground, your face in the dirt and tears coming out of you and blood pouring from your body, giving God your best and first response? Or are you going to be found like the orphans who 40 days after this finally take Jesus up on his invitation to stay, wait, and pray? And he had to go through cross. He had to go through ascension. He had to go through sending the Holy Spirit. He had to go through 40 days and 40 nights of bringing out mass prophets of the days of old and ministering to over 500 disciples just for 180 of them to, or 120 of them to finally have a moment with the Lord in the upper room that Jesus actually invited three of them into in the Garden of Gethsemane. See, what Jesus was trying to get across to us as first, it took 40 plus days and they treated it as last the entire time. Because that's what orphans do. Orphans have no understanding and no reverence for what their father has because they live in him in name alone. And as long as we continue to respond to God the Father in name alone, but we don't take on his DNA, we don't take on his sonship, we don't take on his daughtership, we don't take on his grand dream for you and I, that you and I, we would actually bear the exact image of Jesus Christ in the earth here and now. He's not waiting for you to have a perfected body in heaven for you to look like Jesus. He longs for you and I to look like, sound like, act like, think like, respond like Jesus here and now. If not, then what was the blood for? And if not, how was the blood not enough? I'm not preaching to anybody this morning. You see, because in this moment, Jesus offered to three people the same opportunity to have what he was having in that moment. They weren't yet, right? The Holy Spirit hadn't fallen in that moment. I mean, he baptized some of his homies early on, which was awesome to see. Go look it up, it's in John, it's fantastic. But they didn't have the full expression, the whole filling, the whole infilling of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost had not happened yet. And in this moment, Jesus says, I'm going to go and I'm going to look at my Father. And I'm going to pour out to him what I'm going to pour out to you first. And if you'd like, come with me, stay up with me, and pray and seek him. Can you imagine the invitation of your lifetime happening and you failing to recognize the moment that you're in? Could you imagine being so blasé with Jesus, so cultural Christianity with Jesus, that all of a sudden you're in a garden while the man of God is a stone throw away and he is literally pouring out his blood that he will pour out in the very next day for all. He's pouring it out before his father and your response to that isn't of a son or isn't of a daughter, it's of an orphan who is comfortable sleeping in the wilderness who's comfortable sleeping homeless, who's comfortable falling asleep while one of the greatest things in scripture is taking place, the perfect son giving a perfect offering to the perfect father in perfect communion with the Holy Spirit. Happening just a stone's throw away from you and your response is, eh. who's got the fish and chips? But who does that sound like? Who does that response sound like? Dare I say today, friends, that sounds more like you and more like me than we probably are comfortable admitting. Can I tell you today, friends, that that's so often how we respond is that we fail to see our sonship rightly, so therefore we have no reverence for the hour of which we exist. 
We have no reverence for what he's made available. In that moment, the invitation of a lifetime was made. Jesus said, hey, I'm gonna go speak to the Father. I'm gonna make a place in this garden where the three of you can actually commune with God the Father. I'm gonna speak with universe-creating power right now. Go and pray to the Father. And in fact, you're not just gonna pray to the Father and speak with God face-to-face in, uh, on any subject you want. Peter, this is the time to talk about your fishing problems. This isn't about you sussing out your brotherly issues, James and John. This is a moment where Jesus invited his closest friends to speak to his father about him. He said, will you pray for me? Who is this lowly king of glory and how do we not yet understand this? Friends, I heard it said recently, there is a wineskin being sewn together in this hour and one side of it is holiness, the other side of it is humility and the thread that binds it together is intimacy with the Lord. One side of the wineskin is holiness, the other side is humility and lowliness and the thread that binds it together is intimacy with the Father. And what Jesus was lining up and offering in this moment of Gethsemane, in this Gethsemane prayer, in this moment was the opportunity of their lifetime. They didn't have to wait for 40 days to speak with God face to face. They didn't have to wait for Pentecost in that moment. They had a night's worth of open season to sit with God the Father in a way very few had up until that point. And what did they choose to do? Instead of seeing it in the maturity of a son, they saw it in the immaturity of an orphan. Instead of appreciating it as a son, they depreciated the moment as an orphan. They failed to see rightly the urgency that Jesus was carrying, that Jesus possessed. And I am telling you, this same urgent cry, this same thing is beating in the heart of Jesus right now on his throne. And he is saying, pray, 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 speak to God about me. Speak to God about me. Speak to your father, our father. Speak to him about me. I've taken all the training wheels off. All the barriers have been broken. Sin doesn't have to rule and reign. Temptation doesn't have to be your idol. You don't have to bow down to an elephant or a whatever the other party is, a donkey. You don't have to bow in the same way everyone else bows. Instead, you get to hit your knees, your face in the dirt, and you get to bleed out blood and give God your best. Because Jesus is the perfect example of sonship and daughtership. Friends, one of the most prophetic words I can tell you today is look no further than Jesus. We're not saying don't read the rest of the Bible. Absolutely, do that. But friends, we don't graduate beyond Jesus. In fact, some of us, we live like orphans where we don't, we don't even get close to like, we don't even get close to getting an A in Jesus. Instead, what we do is we live as orphans and we fail so hard at not even getting close to Jesus that we get held back. Like if there's graduation days in the kingdom where we level up and ascend, obviously none of us are gonna arrive, but we keep growing glory to glory, strength to strength, hope to hope, right? We know the scriptures. As we keep being sanctified, some of us, we're not responding to Jesus rightly or Father rightly in our sonship. And because of that, we live like orphans with no education, with no intimacy, and we keep getting held back year after year because we refuse to pick up the phone and talk to our Father. 
In the pop quiz of life, every answer is found in him. Every cure is found in him. Every remedy is in him. Everything you need is in him. And yet, so often, we're found like them, sleeping like orphans in the wilderness instead of praying like sons in Gethsemane. I'm not preaching to anybody this morning. So what happens next? What happens next in this incredible moment is this. Jesus, he goes and he prays his prayer. He's bleeding his blood. He's sitting with the Father and he's saying, Father, your will, not mine. Oh, the pain, oh, the shame, oh, the joy set before me. God, I'm going to do this. And he pulls himself from his father's face. He wipes the blood from his pores. And he goes back and he does it three times. And he sees his closest friends whom he offered up divine sonship to in a moment. True adoption in a moment. And he found them not just lacking, but straight up disrespecting the invitation of heaven for their lives. And you know what's interesting is Jesus doesn't even mention the prayer part. He mentions the staying up part. That's interesting to me because it's like Jesus, every time he goes, he understood you're still orphans, but I thought at least we were better friends than you would be able to stay up with me. He doesn't even mention the prayer. Why are you not praying? I said you could meet with God. I said you could see him face to face, that he'd hear you and respond to you. Jesus, in that moment, he doesn't even need to say that because he understands their condition in this moment. So what does he do? He talks about the friendship with the son. And he says, you couldn't even stay up with me? You couldn't even stay up with me? Friends, what if I told you the invitation of your life right now is to stay up or to get up early with him? What if I told you right now the thing that you think is another thing, the thing that you think is a distraction, the thing that you do not promote or purpose in your life because you think it's something more spiritual people do, other Christians are better at, am I even good at it? Pastor Matt would laugh at my prayers if he heard them. All of those lies you believe and the things that keep you bound from the fullness of your relationship that the blood of Jesus has purchased you. It's the invitation of your life. The invitation of your life isn't to go and build a big church. It's gonna happen, it's gonna be amazing. Why? Because we're gonna be the hope of the world. Why? Because we have the prize of the world. Why? Because Jesus is the prize of heaven. Why? Because Jesus is the prize of the Father. And he seems to like coming here. And we seem to love it when he does. And so we're never going to make this about Matt McClure. We're not going to make this my one stop on a book tour and you don't see me for six months. This is home because it's his home. And so when I'm saying, friends, the invitation of your life isn't a big ministry. It's not a great job. It's not a 401k that, man, few millionaires could bat an eye at and they'd be like, look at you, boy, you're doing well. It's none of those things. Will Jesus add to you as you place his righteousness before you first and foremost? Absolutely. But friends, so often we're looking for the things he promises to add on to us and we are not coveting the thing that he says is first. Which is what? Relationship with him. Relationship with him. Do you know what I find so interesting about Jesus in the garden in this moment? 
is that Jesus was praying the will of the Father before he ever needed the will of the Father. Before he was on the cross, before he was put before Pilate, before he was traded for Barabbas, before any of these things happened, listen to me, friends, ask yourself, in Jesus' greatest moment of offering, his greatest offering wasn't on the cross, it was in the garden. Because his greatest offering was the first of his blood unto his Father and his Father alone. His greatest offering is in this portion of Scripture. It doesn't get a holiday. We don't make Hallmark cards on it. There's going to be no chosen season based around this moment. But I am telling you clear as day, this is the greatest offering of Jesus' life because it's his blood poured out first and foremost unto his Father. And in this moment, what does he do? He doesn't ask for all of a sudden, you know, when I'm with Barabbas, oh man, he's big and bad, crazy genocidal guy. Father, give me strength now. No, no, no. He doesn't wait for that moment. He doesn't wait for the betrayal of Judas to feel God's love. He doesn't wait for the moment of being strung up and carrying that cross up to Calvary and then being on that post for all the world to see being ripped apart for you and me. He doesn't wait for that moment for God's will. He doesn't wait for that moment to see God's strength. He doesn't wait for that moment. So what does a son do in perfect relationship? He is always seeking his inheritance, not just when his inheritance is in need. He is always seeking his inheritance, not just when his inheritance is in need. Friends, when's the last time you prayed for health when you weren't sick? Friends, when's the last time you prayed for provision when you didn't need it? Friends, when's the last time you asked God, fill my cup when your cup was already runneth over? When is the last time you said, God, meet me today, even though he has been meeting you every day prior to that? When is the last time you didn't wait till you were in need to sit before your father and ask for your inheritance? See, what orphans do is they wait 40 days and they go through all this stuff and finally after waiting and praying and seeking and finally listening to Jesus for themselves, suddenly in that moment they receive, Jesus literally says, the promise of God will come upon you. But what I read right here is that there was, a, at least for three of them, the promise of God offered in that moment. What is the promise of God? What does the Holy Spirit come to do? He comes to create communion between you and the Father. He comes to reestablish that relationship. He begins to restore that thing that was broken in the garden. And what took place in this garden should have been the beginning moment of restoring that. Garden to garden to new earth to garden. This is his plan. Eden to Gethsemane to new earth. And in between Gethsemane and the new earth, there's this place that should look like the garden, act like the garden, feel like the garden, and we should be praying and seeking him and having relationship with him like we should in that garden. And what is it? It's a house of prayer. Worship team, you can make your way. Is this making sense to you this morning? Because in this moment, what I'm hearing the Father say is that in 2024, orphans no more. In 2024, orphans no more. In 2024, he gets the full adoption. He gets the full adoption. Would you stand? This isn't just going to be another year where you're housed up in the house of God, where he puts up with you until you break all the rules and you go running away again. 
This isn't a moment where he just houses orphans in an orphanage. No, this is the moment where he takes orphans in 2024 and he says orphans no more. And he begins to develop true sonship and daughtership within you. Where we don't wait till we're in desperate need asking for a handout, but instead we live in the kingdom and we respond in the kingdom and we respond out of intimacy we have with the king. It's called sonship. It's called daughtership. It's called being blood purchased and blood bought. I'm believing this morning for a Gethsemane prayer to rise up in this room. I believe there's no other way to end this morning, to begin this year, than to look at these two positions. What does sonship and daughtership look like? And what does orphanism look like? And which one have I been identifying with, living in, and therefore reaping the fruit thereof? Because Jesus is the perfect example for you, for Eden, for Deanna, for Grant, for Cole, for Maya, for Wayne, for all of us, for Steve, for Jay. Jesus is available for you to not just have that covering, but have the Father's coveting. You see, when we covet things, it's sin. When God covets things, it's called sonship. When God covets things, it's called daughtership. Oh, how God wishes that we would covet him the way he covets us how we long to obtain him the way he's obtained us, how we long to adore him the way he adores us. Would you guys kill the lights for me? It's funny, Jesus was like, let there be light, and then passage all like, kill the lights. But I do that for one reason and one reason alone. Today is the day some of us were asking to get baptized in the Holy Ghost. That's what we're going to do. Today's the day where we get an infilling of the Holy Ghost, second week of the year, where we recognize the dangers, the continual dangers available to us of not just lukewarmness, but living as orphans while claiming the name of a son. And we see it for what it is. We see it for the lie that we've believed, the delusions we've lived under. We begin to look at Western Christianity and we begin to see, no, 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 no. I was sold an orphanage when my inheritance is a kingdom. I was sold an orphanage when my inheritance is the kingdom. I'm not going to wait to be sick to pray for health. It's been made available. I'm not gonna wait for provision to pray for it when my car breaks down. I'm gonna live thanking God. You've supplied every need and you'll continue to supply every need. Gifts of the Spirit. Oh, I'm not gonna wait until a demon comes around for me to grow in my deliverance ministry. I'm gonna position myself at his feet and ask him, Lord, deliver me so I can deliver others. It's time for the church to quit living on defense and orphans and start living on offense. Here's your football reference. Go Lions at eight. We start living on offense as sons and daughters. This isn't prosperity gospel. This is just the gospel. Jesus never had to wait to say a prayer for when he was in need. And that's what's been made available to us. Why? Because he lives from a perpetual, lowly, humble, holy, and intimate place with his Father.
And it's in his holiness are his riches. It's in his mercy that are his riches. It's in his grace that are his riches. I'm not rallying you up so we can buy a jet. I'm not riling you up so we can buy a new building. I seem to like this one. So does the Lord. And when we're bursting at the seams of intimacy, then and only then will we move forward in holiness and lowliness and humility and purchase something that he says, I will bless. Friends, this is Gethsemane moment for you and me. I'm going to open up the altar. We're going to sing. And I'm going to invite you. I'm going to invite you down. And I'm going to invite you to repent of having and housing, facilitating and feeding an orphan spirit. Where we spent all of the last four years living in a lie and delusion of an orphanage in our mind that he says, no, your inheritance is my kingdom. Today's the day, friends. Worship team, you need to hear this. Where can I stand and look at you guys? Today's the day, friends. Today's the day right here where we don't just sing songs, shout prayers, preach great sermons. No, today, friends, hear me, worship crew. This is for everybody, but especially for you. Today's the day where we begin to exchange whispers with God in private that create wakes in the throne room. Today's the day where we begin to exchange whispers with God in private, in our prayer closets, in our intimacy time. We begin to exchange whispers with God in private that create wakes in the heavenlies. Whispers in private exchange between father and son, father and daughter that create wakes and groundswells, tsunamis even of grace and mercy that go beyond singing a great song, divine musical talent, incredible things that God has given all of us. But it goes beyond these moments and what it does, friends, it creates wakes in the earth, quakes in the earth, wakes in the church, quakes in the church, wakes in your family. You got prodigals, you got unsaved, you got people playing fast and loose with God quickly on their way to hell. I am telling you, we begin exchanging whispers with God in private. Watch how he begins to manifest himself in public. There's going to be wakes of mercy, wakes of grace. Forget waves of mercy, waves of grace. We're looking for wakes. We're looking for quakes. Now is the time. We're not going to live like orphans who do not appreciate the hour that we live in, but instead we're going to recognize Jesus' urgency to be a house of prayer, and we will respect the hour in which we've been given. So I'm going to invite you. If you've been living with an orphan spirit, housing an orphan spirit, I say this and you begin to hear the Holy Spirit on the inside of you convicting you, that's you. He's not condemning you. He's not throwing you out. You are not Annie. You are not anybody that he is going to stuff underneath the stairs and lock away. No, right now, he's going to allow his blood to pour over you, to exchange whispers with you that create wakes because of you that only sons and only daughters have access to create in the heavenlies and in the earth and in their community. So I'm going to pray. And as I do, I invite you forward. Don't wait for me to be done. This is your moment because it's between you and the Father. I'm simply praying to create an atmosphere, to prepare a way, because right now what you and I are doing, our response to him isn't predicated on him going to the cross. Our response to him is predicated on his return.
So I'm going to pray. I invite you forward as I do. Just come. This is between you and the Lord, and you begin to move out that orphanage, and you inherit his kingdom, his sonship, his daughterhood. Father, I ask right now, breathe on that word, God. 2024, orphan no more. 2024, orphan no more. 2024, orphan no more. Father, I don't want to live seeking insurance in my life. I want to live with an assurance of what you paid for with Jesus' life. That right now, Lord, I want to pray prayers. I want to push my knees down. I want to pray out blood as an offering to you, God. I want to give my best to you and you alone. God, may right now, may right now, Lord, may I right now begin to see my inheritance rightly. God, I repent of the orphan spirit I've inherited. I repent of the orphan spirit that I've fostered. I repent of thinking that you were not a good loving father to me while thinking and proclaiming you were a good loving father to all of thee. Right now I say, Father, you're my father. You're my father. I have no other. You and you alone. Today, Father, I leave all of my belongings in the orphanage. I don't take my rags and I don't take my dolls. I don't take the things that I have taken out of petty, out of people feeling bad for me. All the gifts I give myself for feeling bad for myself. No, God, right now, I leave all that I was in that orphanage. And I say, come, God, burn upon that orphanage. Burn it to the ground and refine in me. Welcome me in to a kingdom. A kingdom where I can leave all my belongings behind and I get to take on all of the things you've made for me. That in this kingdom, my dolls and my rags, they just won't do. The holes in my shoes, they will not work. That I get to be welcomed into the family of Zion. And we're going to be like those that Moses said were raised in Zion, where even the sandals, though they appeared to wear thin, they would regenerate because of whom they were walking with. Right now, Father, we just say, come. Be my dad, be my father, be my Abba, be my father. Awaken the Gethsemane cry in us today. The Gethsemane prayer, let it break forth, God. Worship team. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus, the body of this Christ, the returning of our bridegroom. Thank you for your work in this most unnormal day where everything's working against us. Feed the hungry. Store the orphan. 2024, we agree with heaven. 2024, orphan no more. This will be the year of sons and daughters in intimacy with their father, inheriting his kingdom to the end of the age. In Jesus' mighty name we say.